right. Well, happy Easter. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I feel so loved. I, I, I've got more things than I have room here. Let's see if we can do this. All right. John G. Lake, founder of The Healing Room, said that Christianity is different from all other religions in the world. Every other religion except for Christianity has no need of a body or resurrection. Existence after death is merely a spirit existence. But not so with Christianity. Christianity has a necessity for a resurrection. The reason for the resurrection is that the kingdom of Christ is not to be in heaven entirely. It is to be in this world. And the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to rule in this world. Consequently, as we live in this world, we need a body like our Lord's, capable of existing here and capable of existing in heaven, coexisting now, ruling now. Today is Easter Sunday. If you haven't figured that out yet, maybe you need more coffee. Today is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But the resurrection has to be more than just the applaud and entertainment of the miracle. Ooh, and ahs that it happened. It must be the basis, the foundation of our very existence. We must allow this to change everything. The way we think, the way we live, the way we love. Think about it. If God really sent, if the God, the creator of all the universe, of all the heavens and the earth, really sent his one and only son to earth as man, this changes everything. If Jesus really died to restore our broken relationship with God, this changes everything. If Jesus' death really paid the penalty of all sins, this changes everything. If Jesus was really resurrected from the dead, this changes everything. If Jesus really has all power, all authority on all the earth and even under the earth, this changes everything. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us, this changes everything. But you could sit here today and hear this truth and not be changed at all. But if you hear the truth, accept the truth, and start living in this truth, it changes everything. We have an Easter gift for you today, and the ushers are going to prepare to hand that out to you. When God deposited this message in me a couple months ago, I started thinking, oh my gosh, it really does change everything. You know, and it, and it all exists right here in our paradigm and how we focus and, and how we look at things. And so a couple of weeks ago, I, I started looking for a gift because I love giving gifts, especially on Easter. I mean, that's my love language is gifts. I love gifts. And a couple of weeks ago, I'm searching, thinking, okay, we got to, you got to have chocolate. Chocolate's a necessity on Easter, right? It's the sweetness of God. I could preach it, okay? I could preach it. 
the reason why you have to have chocolate on Easter. But I came across this devotion book. Have you ever saw the movie Heaven is for Real? You have? It's based on a true story. As a matter of fact, if you was watching TV last night, it was even on TV last night, and I just laughed about it. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. God, you are so good. This is a devotion book based off from that true story, that movie, Heaven is for Real. And it says, Heaven changes everything. And allow me, while they're just handing this out to you, in the back of this book, and this book was written by the mom and the dad, Todd and, I can't think of her name, Sonia, Sonia Burpo, um, about their son Colton, his experience when he went to heaven, and their life and how it transformed afterward. And some excerpts just from the back of this book, it says, Imagine being completely fearless on earth because you know that after this life you're going to heaven and you know, really know, you're going to love it there. That's the promise heaven holds for us. That's how it changes everything. Whatever situation you're going through right now, keep that promise in mind. Todd said, the father, I long for heaven and often wish I could get there sooner rather than later. Sometimes I even dream about it. When you long for something, it impacts all of the details of your life. My longing for heaven saturates everything I do. It has caused my priorities to shift and helped replace the worries and trials I encounter each day with thoughts of the wonderful, carefree place I'll be living in the future. Looking for forward to heaven is just like that, but so much bigger. When you're heaven-minded and have that kind of eager anticipation, all kinds of things will change in your life. You'll find healing as you release hurts and pains that others can't let go of. You might not have the answers to all of your present day issues and challenges, but you know that one day you will get those answers in heaven. When you're heaven-minded, you will also find fulfillment. When others live without any direction or meaning in this world, you live with the confidence that your life has found its course and your bearings are set. You know your destination is heaven. When you're heaven-minded, the only thing that matters here in the long run is what, or, or better yet, who you take with you. Who else is going to be there because of your boldness, your confidence, your peace, your fulfillment, You've shown as you live a heaven-minded life. You see, heaven is for real. This changes everything. When you shift your focus to understanding this is real, it changes everything. What you think matters more in light of heaven, which matters most, changes everything. When you're going through something you can't explain, when you're going through problems, when you're going through trials, when you're heaven-focused, you know it's just momentary. It's not the last word. 
Death is not the last word. Was death for Jesus the last word? No. And that was what was so important. Resurrection was so important. Because imagine the whole scenario played out differently where death was the last word. God still sent his only son. God still performed all the miracles as man. God still showed the love he has by sending his son crucified, willingly laid down his life for everyone. But what if he would have then just rose to heaven from there and never showed a resurrection life? Well, that would have changed everything. Right? Because now the paradigm, the end game is death. Death? Right? You'd walk through your whole Christian life with a stutter in your walk. Well, there's still death coming. But he said, no, that's not it. That's not the end. That's why the resurrection is so important. You've got to see he conquered it all. He went to hell, took back the keys, all authority on earth, under the earth is his. He said, it's all, and here I am. And he showed himself. I mean, mind-blowing. I was talking to Lisa about this the other day. Mind-blowing when we really think about this. He wasn't just spirit. Now, when he was first resurrected and he saw Mary in the garden, he said, Ooh, don't touch me yet. It's not time. But then later, what did he say? Go ahead, touch me. Touch me. Feel me. Right? He appeared through walls, yet he could be touched. He appeared through walls, came and went, but yet he could eat. He was hungry. Give me something to eat. He'll make you, he'll make you breakfast. He'll make a fire. So sit around the campfire with me. Come on, think about this, people. The same spirit that lived in Jesus lives in, lives in us. This changes everything. Stop limiting God's ability through what you can understand. What you can reason. He's far beyond that. How does he walk through a wall and yet can be touched and eat? is bigger than what you're leading on. <laughs> he says, greater works will you do than even I did. I want to walk through walls. I want to walk on the water. Right? Come on, I want to be praying for somebody here and be there, lay hands on them, and then be back here again. Right? But we say, oh, that can't happen. That's what the enemy says all the time. Oh, that, 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 that can't happen. See, if he can get you to believe that, you'll believe that. And you'll be limited by that. All right, enough. That had nothing to do with my message. Sorry, I just got so excited over the resurrection. But this Easter Sunday, turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 3. And we're going to camp out in, in the book of John. It's the love chapter. I just love this one, John. But today, if I could give you one truth, one truth that would change everything, 
change the way you look at things, change the way you feel about things, change the way you think about things. If I could give you one truth today that would change everything, it would be this. The, the resurrection of Christ proved God so loved because it didn't end with the grave. God so loved. Have you ever signed a card and you just sign love? But then there's that certain individual or, or your child that you write, love you so much. I realized when I was signing cards to the ones I really love, it wasn't enough to just sign love. I had to write love you so in capital much exclamation exclamation with little hearts and with little dots, you know, right? Because there's a deepness there. And in John 3, which we hear all the time, but again, let me challenge you. Slow down and look at the words here. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved, for God so loved the world. And let me say, was this when the world was perfect? No, the world was perfect in the garden. Before Adam, before Eve, he created Adam and he said, what? Everything is good. Everything's good. But God so loved the world while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There it is. Death is not the end. Because God so loved. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God so loved. So three points today I want to look at is number one, God so loved. So Jesus, point number two, could show love. Jesus showed love. And then point number three we're going to look at so we can now sow, S-O-W, love. You understand that? God isn't loving. God is love. Our attempts at trying to love are just that. It's just attempts. It, you, you can do your best. You can even say, man, that man really loves that woman. But without God's love through them, they're, they're only attempts at love. Perfect love is God's love. God so loved the world. It's, can, you, can you just see his signature right there in that scripture? It's not love God. It's love you so much, God. As a matter of fact, I'll probably sign that right across my Bible right there to remind me. God loves you so much. Love you so much. God so loved the world that he sent his son. 
You know, over and over again, we hear preachers preach. I've preached it. That our um, sin sent Jesus to the cross. It wasn't our sin. It was sin that had to be redeemed. It was man that had to be redeemed. It was our value that sent him to the cross. God so loved the world, he had to send his son. You understand, it wasn't the sin that, oh, there they did it. Look at what they did. Well, here you go, Jesus. Now you're going to have to go. No, he so loved, he had to. He so loved. Remember, because there is a time for sorrow. There is a time for examining ourselves. There is a time for bearing our burden to God of our sin and our sin nature. And we've went astray. We did it. Here it is, God. And as we pour ourselves out at the cross. But do you understand it was at the cross that he saw past your mistakes and he saw your value. And that's what kept it. It said that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Was the cross the joy? No, you were his joy. He could see you redeemed. He could see you restored. He could see you in that right relationship that he created you to be in that complete communion with him. He saw that and he said for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You are his joy. So when guilt and shame wants to drive you to run, see, look what, look what you did. Because isn't that what Satan does to you? He puts on this mask and he entices you. Come on, look at, oh, you want to do this. You want to do this. You want to do this. And the minute you do it, he rips off the mask, and points at you with the condemning finger. Look what you did. You drove him to the cross. It was your sin. You're a sinner. You're horrible. You're a failure. Look what you did. Look what you did. So what do we do? We run. What did Adam and Eve do when they finally took of the apple, right? They did the one thing God said, don't do. One thing. Come on. One thing. What did they do? They ran and hid. Think about this, though. Because it said in the cool of the day, every day, God would get out and go walking with them in the garden. Walking with them in the garden. Do you think God knew when they bit that apple? Duh, right? When they ran and hid, do you think God knew that they were running? And what did he do? He came after them. Not like, oh, no, you're in trouble now. No. Said as he did the days before, as he did every day, he went down to walk with them in the garden. Well, Adam... Oh, Adam, where are you? Adam. Like he's really playing hide and seek, like he didn't know where they were. See, when sin and shame causes you to run from God, if you open your ear, you'll hear him calling your name. You'll hear him calling. You're not hiding from him. 
You're not going to find a place. As a matter of fact, David said in the Bible that I can't find a place to hide where you don't, where you do not see me. I could hide in the depths of the grave. You're going to find me. I could hide in the pits of hell and you're going to find me. There's nowhere I can hide from you. So when sin and shame causes you to run, God's love is compelled and compels to go after. He says, I'll leave the 99 and I'll go after the one. He doesn't go after you like your mom, but the love that compels him. And he calls out your name. Autumn. Autumn. Summer. Summer, where are you? Dakota, I'm looking for you. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Can you hear me? God so loved. He's not sitting on his throne with his arms crossed. There, they did it again. Look at him. He gets up and he goes after. God so loved. So loved. Christian must, you must understand that this is not just a call to be saved. John 3.16 is not just a salvation call. Please, don't, don't lose sight of this. It's more than that. It's the truth that God so loved seals our identity in him that no matter what, you're going to stumble a hundred times, a thousand times over a lifetime. And God so loved it doesn't rock your identity in him if you keep yourself in him. It's God so loved. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his love, period. God so loved. We must live from his love and not for his love. Do you see the difference? When we live for his love, it's like we have to try to earn it. How can we, mere man, earn the love of God? What do we possibly have or could do to earn the love of God? We need to lay back, let go, and let him pour his love in us. And I heard it said that it will complete us as if you're pouring into a, a vessel that fills every area. When you let God's love fill you, there's no empty spots in you. Do you know where insecurity comes? From those lacks. From those empty spots. You know where offenses come from? When you get offended at this person, they didn't say the right thing, that person looked at me wrong. It's empty spots. You're trying to seek identity from other people. You're trying to seek approval from other people. You're like, well, I don't care what other people think. Liar! Because you prove it the minute you get offended, the minute you get hurt because of what somebody else did or did not do. See, God's love, his love in us completes us. Fills us to the point that I'm not dependent on you making me happy. His love is the joy within me. His love is the strength within me. His love completes me, fills me. If we could get this, if we could get this, if we could get this, Christian, there would be no more divisive bodies. There would be no uh, 
broken relationships in the body. There would be no more offenses, hurt feelings in the body. Because God's love completes us. We need to live from God's love. God so loved. God so loved. God so loved. Point number two, Jesus showed love. Jesus showed love. In John chapter 13, look at this. John chapter 13, verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then he goes into how he did that. Jesus is now going to show the full extent of his love. Verse 3. Look down there. How did he do that? He knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He knew, God, you so love me. The Son knew. He knew God so loved me, so now I'm going to show the extent of my love for them. Verse 4, so what did he do? So he got up from the meal. Jesus got up from the meal. His disciples sitting around the table. They were ready to have the Passover feast. He got up from the table, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And he washed their feet. Jesus showed love. How could he do that? Because he knew God so loved him that he could show the full extent of what love is modeled as. Here's your example of what love is. I want you to understand that at that table, hold on a second, let me just think about this. Are the ushers in here? I think this is a good time. Let's take up communion right now. Let me help you understand if you're here today and you don't know what communion is. It goes right in line with what they were doing. John 13. Here's Jesus and the disciples on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb on this night. And here they are eating this meal together, Jesus knowing that he is the spotless lamb. Jesus knowing that he is the spotless lamb of God. Set aside before the foundation of the world as the sacrifice for all sin. Now shares this intimate time of communion. How appropriate that word. It means intimate fellowship with. And just the same thing that he prayed in the garden afterward that I'm in them and they in me. Father, just as you are in me. That communion, that intimate into me, you see, that intimacy of communion. 
showing them the comparison between this, this symbol of his body right here and the cup, the juice, the symbol of his blood that was about ready to be poured out for them. But while you're just, while they're handing out these elements, I want to just help paint a picture. This wasn't 12 perfect guys sitting around a table that have done the perfect ministries and everything was just beautiful and life is, you know, well, and now it's time for Jesus to go and we all know that. And so here's the, let's lift our cup and let's celebrate time. That wasn't it at all. He showed them the fullest extent of his love because knowing that God so loved him, knowing he's about ready to offer his everything, he's about ready to sacrifice it all. He knows it's not going to be a, a bed of roses This that he's about ready to go through. He even prayed in the garden, Lord, Father, if you can find any other way right here at this 12th hour, I'm okay with it. No? Then I'll do it. Then I'll do it. Knowing this, sitting at that table, looking around at his disciples, you realize that at, at this story here, he told the disciples, ask him, hey, it's about Passover time. Where sh what should we do? Where do you want to go eat this meal? And he said, go to this house. I go, or, tell him where's the room. It's going to be prepared. Go there. Be ready. Well, in the preparation of the room, when they put the table together and lay out all the food and blah, 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 they also, by the doorway, they lay a basin of water and a towel. And it's customary that a servant girl would be there, servant guy, whatever, no respecter of persons, but a servant would be there, and as the guest would step into the room, they would wash their feet and then go up to the table and sit down. But notice it's in this story that Jesus is saying they were all sitting around the table already. He looks over from the table, notices, yep, there's that water basin still sitting there. The towel's still folded. None of the disciples offered to wash anybody's feet. And he got up from the table and he walked over to the basin, took off his outer garments. How did he do that? Knowing that God so loved him. He had to show them one more time what it means, the full extent of love. And he picked up the towel, wrapped it around his waist, and went to each one of them. Now, let me share something with you. Again, this wasn't 12 perfect guys he was washing their feet up. This was not 12 perfect guys he was sharing communion with. This was not 12 perfect guys that he knew he was about ready to give it all to. He washed the feet first of the one, well, the Bible's commentary is that when he went to Peter, the one that was about ready to deny him, run from him three times, say, I never knew him. I never knew him. And then run away like a scared girl, washed his feet. Could you imagine what was going through his mind, washing his feet? You're going to leave me, buddy. When I need you the most, you're going to run from me. When I need you to stand by me and tell me that you're here with me, I feel with you, I'm here for you, you're going to run from me. And then to keep washing the feet and then to face his betrayer. 
The one that had already went to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, whoever they were, that sect, and then said, you know, for 30 pieces of silver, I'll give up the one that's going to save the world. And to wash his feet, the one that's going to betray him. No different than he did the ones who loved him. No different than John, who was constantly laying his head back on Jesus' chest. The one who called himself over and over again in his own book. The one whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. But he washed the betrayer's feet. He washed the one that would deny him. He washed his feet just like he washed John's feet. Do you understand that this time of communion is an understanding of the full extent of Jesus' love is not based upon your performance. It's based upon your value. Who he created you to be. He doesn't look at you as a failure. He doesn't look at you through your insecurities. He doesn't look at you by your biggest mistake. Well, oh, you know, if everybody else knew what kind of person they were. He doesn't go around you. He goes to you. And he stoops down. And he washes your feet. And he says, this is what it means to love. He showed them the full extent of his love. It's in this time, it's in this communion time that the true picture of knowing when you truly know God so loves me that he sent his one and only son for me. Not because of my sin, but because of my value that I can now serve you. And it's not dependent on who you are, how you treat me, what you do, what you don't do, what you say and what you don't say. How many likes you click on my little dinner picture? It's not based on that. My value is not based on you. My value is based in him. Because I know God so loved me that I can show and, and sow that next point of this message is sow his love. S-O-W. Sow his love. When I know so what I want us to do right now, you're holding the cup, holding the bread. Both of these are symbols of Jesus' broken body, his poured out blood. Again, yes, to forgive all sins. But he did it because of the value he sees in you. And it's, the Bible says that Jesus took the bread, giving thanks to the Father. He broke it and he handed it out to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat. So let's just pray over the body right now. Father, thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son as a spotless lamb. sins to be forgiven for my failures to be wiped away that I don't have to pay that penalty it's broken for me it's broken for you thank you father that you loved us so much you sent. Thank you, Jesus, for your willingness to lay down your life. 
for us. Let's take this together. Thank you. Thank you. It says in the same way, he took the cup. He thanked God for it. I could only imagine that he, he thanked God for the opportunity to do what nobody else could do. He thanked him for the time he spent with these that was closest to him. He thanked him that this is a time that I'm stepping out of their picture. And now it's in their hands. Oh, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you everywhere. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. I'm leaving you as an orphan. But he knows these 12. He's 11. Change the world. Because it's not the ones that just hear the word of God. It's the ones that lay down their choices, their life. Pick up their cross and follow him and change the world he was thanking his father thank you father for this blood that we hold in our hands a symbol of Jesus' blood that was poured out not just for our sins to be forgiven but for our healing for our shortcomings for our failures for the renewing of our mind for the renewing of our heart for the new covenant established from that day forward in you that it's not just based upon our actions the things that we do but the things that are in us that do that your power your spirit your holy spirit in us and through us that we honor this blood we honor this sacrifice this communion continues Jesus in us God in us we thank you let's take it together it says that Smith Wigglesworth took communion every morning one of the greatest healing evangelists understood that that communion that intimacy with God that comes through communion is so important he wanted to take it every morning to spend that time with God knowing God is in me Jesus prayed in the garden that they would be in that they would come to complete unity and understand God that it's you and me me and you them and us us and them that complete unity First, we must understand God so loved me that Jesus showed us love. The full extent of his love was that when you understand it, it fills you up, completes you. No empty spot in you. You're able to get down and wash those people's feet. Not just the ones that treat you well. You're betrayer. One that hurt you, your abuser. I'm not. I'm 
not in any way saying that you, you're to stay in an abusive relationship. Don't read into this. Don't say something I'm not saying. But to love. Again, we're talking about this changes everything. When we put this paradigm shift and I had a hard time understanding that word years ago and one of my teachers explained to me it's like taking a pair of dimes as binoculars and how precisely that changes your focus as if they were binoculars that's all you can see changes your paradigm when heaven God so loved me it's all I can see so when you look at your betrayer when you look at the one that hurt you all you see is God's love in them all you see is God's value for them you don't look at them based on their performance you don't look at them based on their mistakes oh I better stay away from that person you see them for who God sees them. That's the full extent of love. That's how you're able to love those. God so loved. This can change everything, but it's up to you. See, if you stop right there, again, too many Christians have tried to earn God's love. Too many people try to earn God's love. I said it. I remember seeing this. I grew up in church and then, you know, lived selfish teenage life you know young uh, or older teenage life you know I live my own and I remember people used to try to witness to me and I'd say you know when I'm about in my 30s you know when you're close to the grave in your 30s when, when I uh, you know then I'll clean up my life I'll be married by then and then I'll start going back to church Jesus to come to earth for if we could clean ourselves up what, what did he have to sacrifice what did he have to spill his blood for if we could clean ourselves up that's ridiculous to think that you could earn God's love to think that you could earn his forgiveness by doing what what do you possibly have that could pay God back for this? There's a story, I've shared it with you before, of a little girl called Jenny. Went to the store with her mom and saw these dime store pearls in this little tinfoil box and screamed and yelled and did what every little kid would want to do. I want that, I want that, I want that. And Mama looked at the box and saw it was $2. Well, Jenny, you know you have a birthday coming up. You save up for that. You work. I'll give you some extra chores around the house. You would earn the money and buy them yourself. $2. Time store pearl. So she got home went right to work. She even went to the neighbor's house and said, could I pick dandelions out of your yard for 10 cents? This was a seven-year-old girl, seven, eight-year-old girl. She's out there working, picking dandelions out of the neighbor's yard for 10 cents. Her birthday came. Grandma gave her a buck. You know, by the time she did the extra chore, she had the $2. She went to the store. Dime store pearls are now hers. $2. They never came off. She wore them everywhere. She loved those pearls. Except for when she took a bath. Because Mom said her 
could turn her neck green. She had to take them off. And every night when her dad would come in, tuck her into bed, he'd tell her the story, he'd get, he'd pray for her, and then he'd look at Jenny and say, Jenny, would you give me your pearls? Oh, no, Daddy. <laughs> Here, uh, I'll give you my little horse, you know, the one with the, the pink mane, and you even get the brush that goes with it. Here, Daddy, you can have my pink horse. No, that's okay, Jenny. And Dad kissed her on the forehead and slipped out of the room. Every night, weeks went by. And after reading her story and praying with her, he had asked the same thing. Jenny, would you give me your pearls? And she always had something else to offer him. Boy, you can take this. Here, Dad, this is your my favorite toy. You can have this. It's my baby doll. Dad, you can have this. And every day, he would say, no, that's okay. Give her a kiss and slip out of the room. Until one night, he stepped in the room, and she was already sitting on the bed, weeping, holding in her fist, as tight as she could hold, her dime store pearls. And as he came close to the bed, all he saw was that his daughter was crying. And he said, what's wrong? And she handed out her pearls to her dad and said, here they are, Daddy. You can have them. So he scooped up the pearls, put them in one pocket. And out of the other pocket, he pulled out a velvet box. And he handed it to her. And he said, I've been waiting a long time to give you this. And she opened it up, and inside was a real strand of pearls. And he said, you see, I was just asking you for one little thing, because I had something so much better for you. Why is it we hold on to temporary little piddly things, dime store trinkets in our life, and think that for somehow they're going to satisfy us with more than what God has for us? See, when we look at what matters most compared to what we think matters more, it doesn't compare. And yet we continue to grasp onto it like a little seven-year-old tightly clinging to those dime store pearls. God's got so much more. We continue to limit him because of our paradigm because of the way we see things. This is, isn't it? The things you can accumulate, the things that you have, the things that you want, can't compare. you got to change the way you see things. God's got so much more. And like Jenny, you got to let go and trust God. Because this changes everything. Would you stand? Let's pray. Oh, Father, God, I can... My heart's just overwhelmed with the thought of how much you love us. Times I think that it's just, my heart's just not big enough. that you help us by your Holy Spirit 
to catch a glimpse of that love today. Not in a fleeting moment, but in a life-changing way that we'll leave here today and never be the same again because of that love, because of your love. The glimpse of, the thought of, the feeling of, the God's soul of. That we can follow the example of Jesus and show the full extent of your love by loving others, by sowing your love, by loving others. at this altar time that you just focus on God right now I'm asking Holy Spirit to begin searching the hearts searching the minds of those that are here today and right now you might be feeling like a touching and then your mind awakens to something in your life that you're holding on to that God's saying that thing right there do you trust me will you give me that will you give me that I've got something better for you will you trust me it's not a condemning thing that's a, that's a compelling that I got something better for you. Will you lay that down? If you're feeling that, I'm not going to try to pinpoint or call out every little thing, but if you're starting to feel that drawing and it's something that you need to lay down, whether it's a wrong way of thinking, whether it's something you've been doing, whether it's a, a harboring unforgiveness or that you've been motivated by the approval of men, whatever it is, I want you to come and find a place here at the altar and let it go. And let it go. You lay it down. You lay down those dime store pearls and God's got something way better for you. But today's your day. It's time now. Let it go. Let it go. Maybe in you. You just need to get alone with God. You need to come up front. You need to spend some time with God to to be filled up with his love because you found that there's empty spots <laughs> that your emotions have been going on this roller coaster ride your thoughts seem to be out of control at times your heart seems to be pulled this way and that way it's because you have empty spots and you need to just spend some time this morning and let him fill you, fill you fill you fill you his Love. God so loved. Come on, let's worship together. Come on, let's worship together. We're going to pray if you've got a sickness. You have a situation. We're not just going to pray with you. We're going to believe with you. And we're going to see people healed this morning. We're going to see people set free this morning. We already had a testimony that gives us permission 
that what he did for Dominic, he can do for us. You have any strongholds, you have any bondages, you have any habits, you have anything like that, we'll be broken this morning. Come on, come on.